Good morning. Welcome to Marine Creek. I'm glad you're here. If you've got your Bible, go to Matthew 26. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Um, if this is your first time, if you'll fill out a guest card somewhere, like Ryan said, in the vicinity of you, uh, we can get some information uh, to you and begin a dialogue. I know um, that there are many uh, great churches in our area, and so I'm honored and humbled that you're worshiping with us today. Today, we're going to continue that journey of Jesus to the cross, and we tend to think that Jesus suffered all of his suffering on the cross, but uh, what we've been studying through Matthew is that, uh, that suffering began even before the nails went through his hands, even before he was arrested. I'm going to share a story. We're going to talk about Jesus and uh, this part of this suffering, and today it's going to be uh, desertion and tra- uh, tragedy and, or abandonment. Um, I don't know if you've ever, uh, when you were a kid, felt that sense of like alone, like you've been left or that lost feeling. Um, I'm really surprised my mother didn't leave me um, more times than she probably did because uh, I haven't always been this perfect. And so um, as a kid, I I probably wasn't the easiest kid. Uh, My siblings are here and they can probably testify it. Uh, I can remember uh, that feeling of of being lost. Uh, We used to go shopping and and I loved it. Uh, My mother hated it or she hated taking me shopping. We'll say it that way. But it, you remember in the big department stores where you, you had all the clothing racks? And uh, as a little boy, they, it was just beautiful because you could go and you would climb in the middle of those racks, you know, and you were transformed and transported to a different world. And, you know, you, your mother is just like, she's so glad that, that you're entertaining yourself and you're not destroying things. Um, and she's, she's like, she knows which rack because it's shaking and, and things are going crazy. But I remember going into that rack and being in the store and um, just it, having fun, playing, goofing off, and coming out of that rack and looking around, and I don't see mom. And if you, if you remember this from childhood, you remember that, that anxious feeling that starts to, uh, you know, you look around, you're like, Mom? 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 Mom! you know, and you're just screaming, and, and I can't find her, and I'm thinking, she's finally left me, and, you know, she always said she was going to do it. It was either that or she was going to make me get out of the car and walk home, uh, but uh, she, she always threatened it. I was like, she, she's serious, you know, and so one of the employees from the store um, takes me to the front, and they get on the intercom, and they announce this lost boy, and uh, there's nobody coming to claim me. I'm like, her name is Mom. Come on. <laughs> And she's not coming. And I just remember that, that, that feeling of loneliness. And then she comes up. And, and she didn't have the same look of, uh, I'm so happy to see you, Mom. She didn't have that same look. Um, it was more like, huh, guess what? When we get in the car, <laughs> it's on. So, but I, I remember that just like I was so happy to see my mama. And, and you're doing that, that sob. You know, if you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, <laughs> you can't catch your breath, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and they're like, come on, breathe, boy. You know, but she's getting ready to hit you in the chest, you know. She had to carry a respirator bag and put it over. Like, <laughs> she's like, uh, our daughter would get so worked up. And we're like, calm down. She goes, I can't calm down. <laughs> and the lip would almost go all the way back to the back of her head. I mean, that bottom lip would go, choo, 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 choo. I don't understand it. But that, you know that feeling of loss and loneliness, and you're just like, I'm all alone. And that, that panicky feeling and that sense of, I am scared and I have no idea what to do. I think we've all felt that. As a kid, we remember those stories, and it becomes very tragic. 
We can look back and laugh now. And, you know, I've been through counseling and everything is fine. But um, we, we, we understand more so as adults how that feels. When, when somebody, we think somebody's got our back and we kind of launch out there and we look back and we're by ourselves. Um, as we get older, the stakes get higher, and we, we tend to, it, it tends to be a little heavier. And today I want to look at this with Jesus. This is in the garden uh, right after he prays. Uh, last week we talked about this prayer that Jesus went through, and he prays about what's coming and the weight and the stress and the mental anguish that he was feeling. And today I want to talk about that, that abandonment or that tragedy and, and how Jesus approached this. I want us to get in and understand some things contextually that are going on in the garden as he's arrested. But I also want us to take away some things today for us to be prepared to handle mom- those moments in life where you know, we, we're not going to jump out of a clothing rack. If you do, I'm, <laughs> I'm good for you. But um, I haven't jumped out of a clothing rack in a long time. But I've, I've kind of hit that moment of life where I realize uh, I'm out here on my own and I, I've got to figure things out and you feel that tense feeling. Um, I don't know if it's through a job situation, finance situation. Um, I've walked with some of my friends through divorce. And that feeling of, I thought we were going to be in this together, and I've now found myself alone. And we all feel that. Um, Jesus understands this. I will say this going into this. This is a a passage, and we're going to talk about the disciples uh, deserting Jesus. But the only time I think Jesus really felt abandonment was on the cross when his father had to turn his back on the sin. And I think the weight of that, that Jesus is carrying, because he's going to see the disciples walk away, but, but he understands that his father is going to have to turn his back on the sin of the world because Jesus becomes this sin. And let's get into Matthew 26. If you need a Bible, we've got them on the floor for you. If you don't own one, then, then take that. Um, that's our present for you today, that and the cinnamon buns and the calories that go along with all the cakes and goodies and the coffee bar. All right, um, this is um, verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priest and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with him. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Now, what's, what's going on here is, is Judas is bringing uh, a mob into the Garden of Gethsemane. It's estimated that this mob was upwards of a 1,000 people, and they came armed. And Judas is a disciple and follower of Jesus. Uh, we've seen through Judas's history over the last couple of weeks that you can be close to Jesus and have no relationship with him. You can be close to God and the things of God and have no relationship with God. In essence, you can say all you want, but the transformation has never happened. I had a conversation with a friend of mine about this one time. I said, how come we can't make this happen? I can't fake this spirituality. And Judas couldn't fake it. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't one of those things, fake it till you make it. And so Judas says, I'm going to approach the one, and he kisses Jesus The interesting thing about a kiss is it's a sign of affection. It's a sign that there's a relationship there, that there's something deeper going on. And Judas uses what is a sign of affection as a weapon. And so Judas steps up and he calls Jesus rabbi. The interesting thing I can't find in Scripture where Judas calls Jesus Lord. He calls him rabbi, teacher, I respect you, man. 
It's all good. Judas keeps it surface level. A couple weeks ago when we talked about betrayal, it's easy to betray somebody when you keep it surface level. When you kind of keep people at arm's length, it's, it's easy to walk away. It's easy to betray. It's easy to let them down because you haven't let them in. But what's interesting is after Judas kisses Jesus, Jesus replies to him and says, friend, do what you came for. With Jesus, it's very personal. We, we can try to keep him at, at arm's length, but he says, yeah, it's personal with me. We're in this. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. In John, we're told that that's Peter. Um, the, the kind of the situation that plays out is Jesus finishes praying, and then he gets his disciples together. He's like, all right, it's time. You, you know, things are going to start happening really quickly here. And so then the mob comes in. It's a full moon. It's, they've got torches and lanterns, and they come armed, and Jesus is standing there with his disciples. They come up. Judas kisses Jesus and says, greetings, Rabbi. And Jesus is like, I know what you're here for. Do what you came to do. Peter, and I love Peter because he just jumps out there. I, Peter's the type of guy that, you know, his mouth will write checks. He steps forward. He draws the sword, and he cuts off the ear of one of the servants. Now, Let's understand the feelings and emotions and everything that are going on. I mean, Peter had just made a commitment to Jesus that even if I have to die, I'm not going to desert you. I'm not going to deny you. I'm with you, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he sees everything happening so fast, and he jumps forward with the sword. And then he turns and he rebukes Peter, and he says this. He says, put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. What Jesus is saying is violence is not the answer. Now, Jesus is not teaching pacifism, but he's saying violence is not the answer. Jesus spread the gospel not by inflicting violence, but enduring violence. Now, I will tell you, we're, we're not charged to spread the gospel with the sword. We're not to go spread the gospel by force and use violence. But there are times that violence is going to be necessary. There are times, Ecclesiastes tells us that there's time for peace, there's time for war. And Jesus is not teaching pacifism. I'm grateful for the men and women that lay their life in harm's way so that I can stand here and preach the gospel. I'm grateful that there are men and women that lay their lives in harm's way so that we can have the freedom of speech and we can disagree with each other and we can debate and we can argue. And I'm thankful for that. Jesus is not teaching pacifism. I, I get really frustrated when we make Jesus out to be a wimp and when we make him a sissy. I can't imagine how manly Jesus is that before time began, before we were even thought of, he says, I will be the sacrifice for mankind. I will put myself in that place so that they can have a redemption. They can have life and I will pay that price. I mean, Jesus is a man, and when we make him out to be this, this, this guy that sits in green pastures and pets sheep, I mean, come on. I mean, we've missed the point. Jesus is not a victim here in the cross. He willingly took it. He willingly walked this road to die for us so that we could have not just the freedoms, but we could have life that is eternal life. And he explains this to his disciples. He says, Do you not think I cannot call on my Father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. 
but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus is saying, I can, I can tap out here. I've got angels at my disposal, a Roman legion of soldiers with 6,000 soldiers. I'm going to make you do some math. 6,000 times 12. Yes, carry the one. Add the two. There it is, 72,000 angels. And just as much as we try to make Jesus out to, to be less manly, we've made angels these uh, babies with diapers and halos sitting on clouds. <laughs> nay, nay, my friend. I think of an angel. An angel's a, a very masculine being. I mean, they kick butt is the only thing that I can think of that comes to mind. I mean, they're not going to come down and stand in front of Jesus. And it doesn't take 72,000 of them because the angelic choir has to be that big to scare the army or the mob. You know, they're not, they're, he's not going to call down the angels and they go, Thou must leave Jesus alone. I mean, I think if Jesus said the word and those angels come down, I mean, it's like the big dude that you don't want to mess with. Is stand, hey, you got a problem with Jesus? You got a problem with me. I think... Uh, we we got to quit sissifying God, and I, I'm tired of it. Jesus, but what Jesus is saying is, I have angels that can come to my rescue and my defense. I can tap out any time. But my my goal, my hope, I don't want to be bailed out in this. I want to glorify my Father. There are times when I find myself in a situation that I want God to bail me out. Most of the time, it's my stupidity or my sin that's gotten me into a situation. And I'm like, God, I need your help. Can you bail me out of this? You know, I feel like going to God and going, God, I way overspent this month. I way abused grace. God, can you bail me out? I mean, this is really uncomfortable. But what Jesus is saying, I don't want to be bailed out. I want to glorify my Father. And in everything we do, we're to glorify our Father. And I get into situations, yes, because of my own sin and because of my own stupidity, but also sometimes things just happen. I mean, it's going to rain on the just and the unjust. When I submitted my life to Christ, it doesn't mean that I, that I have these perfect days. You know, that the soundtrack to my life is zippity-doo-dah. Sometimes the soundtrack to my life is this dark, uh, just deep, depressive music. And sometimes I cause it, and sometimes I just find myself in it. But my goal, we are created to worship our Father. And our goal, our desire, our prayer is, God, I don't want to be bailed out. I want to glorify you. If going through this is going to to refine my character so that I can reflect your goodness and your glory better, then refine it. God, if, if, if I have put myself in this, if this is a result of my poor choices, God, forgive me, I repent, but how do I give you glory in getting back up from the fall? You see, I think people look at, at Christians and people who give their life to God, and they look for us to fall. If you watch me, I'm going to fall, and you don't have to watch very long. But the difference is, how do we get back up? You see, we're, we're human, and it doesn't excuse our sin. It doesn't excuse our issues. But, but we have to understand that we have to seek grace and glorify God. And how we get back up is how we can glorify God. And Jesus knows this. Jesus says, I don't want to, I'm not asking for this to be removed. I'm asking to seek my Father's will. God, I want what you want for my life. And I'm going to glorify you every step of the way.
because you have created me to glorify you. I think we miss this. I think we get, we get into these mindsets where, God, why aren't you fixing me? Why aren't you fixing my situation? And God says, I'm working on your character. I'm developing you. I'm desiring to do something deeper in you. I mean, think about the disciples uh, as, as they're seeing all this and everything happening. And then Jesus says to the crowd, at that time, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you didn't arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. They took off. They bailed. Think about the disciples. They had spent time with Jesus. I mean, they had seen Jesus walk out on the water. They had seen Jesus calm the storm in the boat. As they walked the road with Jesus, they saw those that were dead come back to life, that Jesus could speak the life and they're raised from the dead. Those that were blind were healed. Those that were deaf could hear. Those that were lame could walk. They saw afflictions healed immediately, the things they've seen. And I I will say this, and we preach this, we don't follow the miracles, we follow the man. But they had followed the man and they had seen the miracles. They had spent time around the campfire with him. Think about the wisdom coming from Jesus. I mean, you're sitting around the campfire with God. And then they see all of this process and it gets heavy. And their faith is challenged and they walk away. I don't know if your faith has ever been challenged to the point where you walk away from God. Uh, I will say mine has. And sadly, I walked away. If your faith has not been challenged, then let me challenge it a little bit this morning. Because this is not something, church is not something where you just come in and turn your brain off and just blindly go with the crowd. God desires us to engage with our head and our heart. If you haven't thought about your faith enough to doubt deeply, you probably haven't thought about your faith enough to believe deeply. And tragedy, these moments challenge our faith. I mean, standing there and seeing the man that you walked away from everything to follow because he said, come and follow me, that you thought was going to lead the revolution and overthrow the Roman Empire and that the, the oppression that the Jews were under was going to be relieved. All the pain and the suffering that you were feeling, he was going to take care of. And then here in the garden, there's a mob arresting him and he's willingly giving himself over. He won't even let me fight on his behalf. And they flee. I think they weren't fully prepared. I think Jesus did his part, but I don't think the disciples were fully prepared to deal with tragedy. See, tragedy can happen in all different ways. It really comes down to something that's unexpected. I mean, I, I've had to deal with, with death that is a tragedy. I've had to deal with loss that's a tragedy. Every one of us have gone through some type of tragedy. When I came out of the clothing rack at the store, that was tragedy because I expected my mom to be there and she wasn't. When I have submitted my life and Jesus said, come follow me, and I walk, and the outcome doesn't happen the way I want it, that's tragedy to me. When God doesn't answer the prayer the way that I think it should be answered, I consider that tragedy, and that challenges my faith. 
Let me give you some, some, some takeaways here. The first thing is do not go along with this mob mentality. The mob came to arrest Jesus, and it, it's easy, and I have to fight the temptation because I really much, so much enjoy being around people. Now, being around people energizes me. It kind of gives me life. It's like a puppy. Some people are like cats, I understand. Being around people, they want to go hide in a cabinet or on top of a shelf or you know, go in some crazy place. Not me, man. I, I like being around people. But I have to struggle and challenge myself not to go along with the mob. I have to say I'm not going to just go with the flow. If you want to see what the mob mentality is like, go to a middle school cafeteria. If you've ever been a recipient of the mob attacking you, it happened to me, sixth grade, school bus, riding home. I don't carry the baggage from that bus ride, but I still carry the scars about what was said and what was done. And we, as Christ followers, are not to get caught up in the mob mentality. This can happen in church. This can happen in the workplace because the mob mentality is going to focus on feelings and not facts. It's I feel that this should happen or I feel this way about something and we begin to start to formulate a desired outcome that's not based on truth and the mob mentality is going to go, we want it to happen this way and we don't care about everything else. We discount the truth to get what we want. And then the mob doesn't focus on the process. They focus on a final product. We, we, it's kind of like this. We know how we want it to come out. We don't care what we have to say or do to get it to come out that way because that's the way we feel it should happen. And we start building our case. Think about this with Jesus. The outcome was to get this man out of the way because he's threatening our way of life. Because the way he's preaching the kingdom of God and the claims he's saying, it's affecting my financial bottom line. The chief priests and the elders were taking a pay cut because people were following Jesus. Because they had set up a religious system that benefited them. He was challenging their authority because uh, they, they were blind guides. They were, they were telling people how to be religious, but there was no transformation. There was no true worship of God. And this mob mentality starts to build and build and build. And Jesus says, step out. Be a leader. I mean, we have the truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. We have the truth. Jesus is, con- is referred to as the Word of God. He was with God in the beginning. He wrote this whole story. He knew it. He's living out what he wrote. And the Word is going to be abused and used against him to get what the mob wants. And we've got to avoid this type of mentality. We have the truth. We have facts. We have to understand that God is working a process in us. God is refining us. He is developing his character in us. And when we say, God, I'm going to trust the truth, I'm going to submit to truth, I want to live my life according to you, and you handle the process of refining me, we're going against the mob mentality, and we're allowing God to do something in us that's deeper than all of the emotional stuff. So we got to quit going along with the mob mentality. And then we also, we have to put our life in God's hands. I mean, we, 
have to make a conscious decision every day to say, God, I must decrease so you can increase. God, I, I, I lay myself as a sacrifice for you so that my life is lived in your hands. I have to understand that God knows better what my life should be and he wants what's better for my life than I ever think I can. I think the worst thing we can do is to take matters into our own hands. Like the thing about Peter. I mean, Peter's thinking, all right, it's on. I made the claim that I'm going to follow Jesus. I am not going to deny him. I am with him to the end. And there's, there's opposition in front of me. And it's here. It's on, baby. And he goes out and attacks. He takes matters into his own hands. There have been times that, you know, I didn't pray about something or I just stepped out and take matters into my own hands. And, and it's that moment of vulnerability. Yes, I feel the abandonment because everyone else has stepped back because I'm acting like a jerk. And they're like... Have fun out there, buddy. And you get out there and you realize I have screwed this thing way up. And not only have I gone against what God wanted in this situation, but I've hurt people in the process. And I don't know if you're like me. I can, it's easier, not easy, but easier for me to get, humble myself before God and repent than it is to go to somebody else and humble myself and repent and go, you're right, I'm sorry. That's hard. I've lost a lot of relationships because my pride wouldn't let me do that. In Proverbs 14, it says, it says this, the way in a man's heart seems right, but in the end it is the way of death. You see, it's not necessary for us to take it in our own hands. Jesus said, I don't have to take this into my own hands. I'm walking a plan. I'm walking a path. I'm walking a process. Jesus is like, I got the help but I need to walk this out. The other thing we got to do is cling to the only one who can help us. I think that in churches and in society, we tend to focus on the symptoms and not the root issue. Now, let me give you an example. I'll, I'll pick something that I know I, it's a little bit of a challenge in my house and it creates some heated discussion. It's finances. I know most people don't ever have any heavy conversations about finances, but uh, I'll confess, we do in my house. So um, I'll use me for an example. But finances, we get into a discussion. We talk about, uh, hey, we need to figure some things out. What we're doing is not working. And so what we do is we start looking for financial help. We start thinking, okay, well, do we need to move money from here? Do we need to take money from retirement account to, to... to take care of this? Do we need to, how do we need to manage this? Do we need to, what, what's, what's the process here? Do we need to go to a financial class? Do we need to call a financial advisor? And I think what happens is we get focused on the symptoms because we think they can help us. They can help us. They can help us. The financial guy can help me. I'm going to talk to a financial advisor. He advises on finances so he can help me. Here's the thing I think we miss. We miss going to the only one who can really help. We miss going to God. We miss going to Jesus. See, Jesus is the answer for finances. He's the answer for everything. And so what I have to do is before I sit down with Heather and say, we've got to talk, before that, we've got to go to God because he is the only one who can help. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary 
and I will give you rest. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one, but man, sometimes life just beats me up. And I feel like I got to just, I, I, I want a safe place. I want to, when I get home in the evening and I know that that's a, a sanctuary for me and I can rest, I can, it's, it's, I can just let everything go. When I press into Jesus, that's what happens is I feel that rest and that peace and go, God, it's hard, but I'm pressing in. That when tragedy strikes, I'm pressing in. When times are good, I'm going to press in. See, I think we get to the point where we only go to God or we depend on God when it's hard because that's how he, we think he gets our attention. And when things are good, we're like, hey, God, how you doing? Oh, life is great. You know, I'll come see you soon. God singing cats in the cradle. We have to press into God. And we have to understand that he is working on us. Let me give you a, a few things on how to be prepared for tragedy. And that's uh, your challenge here. Because uh, when I walked away from God, when my faith was challenged and I faced a, what I call tragedy in my life and I walked away, I experienced something later. I experienced the reality of the resurrection. Because I, I'm convinced that the resurrection changes everything. After Jesus was resurrected from the, the dead, when he walked out of the grave, the 11 disciples came back to Jesus. When I experienced the reality of the resurrection, it changed me. It wasn't the head knowledge of that Jesus uh, somehow came back to life. It wasn't the hope that... that that he is alive. It was the experience of the resurrection that Jesus stepped out of the tomb. He gave his life and the power of the Holy Spirit called him from the grave and he walked out of that tomb. When I experienced that, everything changed. For the disciples it changed, for me it changed, for you it can change. I don't know if you've walked away. I don't know if if when things get hard and you're like, hey Jesus, I'm out on this one, buddy. But the reality of the resurrection changes everything. It's not a fake it till you make it. It, We can't play the religious games until it catches on. It's transformation by experiencing the reality of the resurrection. I can't make it happen for you. But I can give you some tools to start to prepare and make that happen. Because we, we have to be prepared for tragedy. Whether that's financially, however, but spiritually, we've got to protect and guard our heart so that we are prepared. The first thing is, is this, is read God's word. Don't expect me to do it all for you. In your notes, you have future study. You know, get in there and lock in, read it. If, if the only time you eat is this service on Sunday mornings, let me, let me challenge you with something that you'll give up on tonight. After service today, head on down to CC's or any all-you-can-eat buffet you can find. And just handle up, man. Just go to town. I mean, loosen the belt, unbutton your pants full. You know, you'll have to pray for the, the gluttony and ask for forgiveness. I'm not condoning sin. I'm just telling you what you're going to get into. But you're going to walk out of there and you're going to be like, I can't ever eat again. I'm so full. Thank you, God. You know, and, and you're going to just experience just the awesome discomfort of being full. But that's all you can have until next Sunday. 
And next Sunday, man, have your fill again. If you expect me to feed you, and that's the only way you're getting into the Scripture, then that's what's happening. Man, you're going to become spiritually weak. You're going to, you, tomorrow, man, you're going to go, forget that. I've got to have something. Start reading. That's, that's feeding you. you know, and, and don't just read it. Study it. What does it mean? God, what's going on here? If you need help, email me. Hit me on Facebook. I love helping people study the Word of God because it has so transformed my life. And we're going to look at the truth. We're not going to go, how does this scripture help me say what I want to say to support my cause? Let's study it. Let's learn it. Let's get it in there. And then let's pray it back to God. I remember when I was a kid, it would frustrate my mom and dad a little bit when I would communicate back what they had promised me or committed me um, because I would kind of use it in a way that solely benefited me. But God loves to hear us pray his word back. I mean, think about, ah, God just loves to hear. It's like, that's my boy. He's saying what I taught him. Pray it back to God because it's easier to humble yourself because Scripture is going to teach us to be humble. And you know what? And then let's practice it. Let's live it out. You might be the only Bible somebody reads, and the way they're reading it is how you live your life. They're going to look at how you handle good times, but how you handle tragedy. Yeah, they're going to look at the fall that you take, And if you think you're not going to fall, you're setting yourself up for failure. But they're going to watch you to see if you fall. But they're going to see you when you fall. And if you are practicing God's word, they're going to be ministered to by seeing how you get up from that. Don't preach a sermon to people. Let them see it by how you live your life. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you are good. We thank you for the reality of the resurrection that changes everything. And God, I know we go through things and we go through seasons and we go through trials and we go through tests. And God, sometimes we find ourselves in situations that that through our decisions and actions we're in. But God, we also understand that there are things that just happen. And God, we thank you for this truth. And this fact is that you never leave us or forsake us. That when we seem to think that you have walked away from us and abandoned us as your kids, we know the truth is we're wrong. So, Father, we ask you to to just wrap us up in your presence. Father, help us to face everything that we are facing now and will face with the intentions of giving you glory. And Father, we thank you for the reality of the resurrection that allows us to give the glory where it is due. And that is back to you. So Father, help us to be just confronted with the reality of the resurrection. And that our faith isn't, our faith really is in nothing but you. Father, our faith doesn't even get placed in an empty tomb because you're not there. Father, our faith doesn't get placed on the cross because you're not there. Father, we know through faith that we have to understand the reality of the cross and the reality of the empty tomb so that we can place our faith in you. 
And I ask that you give us courage this week. That as our faith gets challenged, that you refine us into holiness. And we give you the glory. We love you so much. In Jesus' name.